are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Good morning. Our scripture today is 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Welcome. Um, if you're a guest with us, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, we've been trekking through 1 Peter. Uh, if you're new with us, and here we find ourselves this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, still, verses 22 to 25, uh, as we just read together, a text about things that last, things that endure, things that stand the test of time. We were reminded even this week as we watched, I don't know if you watched, I watched, uh, New stations consumed with the life and the death of Queen Elizabeth, her 96 years of life on this earth. We're reminded that even kings and queens, and the rulers of this world, they come and go. Even the 96 years of Queen Elizabeth, those years had a beginning and those years had an end. If you're like me, so many of my thoughts and my actions and my desires and my time and my money and my affections and attention, so much of who I am as a person on a weekly basis is consumed with things that don't last, with things that are just temporary. I can't tell you how much time this last week, I wish I could tell you it was less time, uh, has just been consumed with trying to get a home renovated still after six months, uh, trying to get it done, Um, a house that even with all the money and the resources and the time that's being poured into it, will eventually at some day in the future once again be outdated, will once again need repair, will once again need to be fixed up again, because it's going to break down. It's going to need to be repaired again. It doesn't even last with all the time that I've poured into it. It itself will not last. And we talked last week, if you were with us, about being sober-minded, you know, about the need in our Christian lives to be aware of the spiritual realities going on around us. And sometimes that idea of being sober-minded, attentive to spiritual realities, it can feel a little abstract, right? A little like in the ether. Like, how do, I, how do I begin doing that? It sounds really difficult and weird. But what kind of spiritual realities are, am I talking about? What are we talking about? How do we go about doing that? And then how do I train my mind, if you are with us last week again, how do I train my mind to think about realities, these realities every day that I can't even see or touch or taste, or smell, these things that are invisible to me, that I don't, can't physically see, or use my senses to, to see, or declare, or taste, or smell. But in his admonition to be sober-minded, Peter begins here to fix our minds upon invisible realities around us, and he begins to show us how to do that in verses 22 to 25. Because in thinking about things that last, and dwelling upon and meditating upon things that stand the test of time and never fade, Peter takes our minds to two things that last, 
in these verses. One is loving one another. And two is the power and effectiveness of God's formational word. So loving one another, loving each other, those things will last. Love will last. But also God's word will always remain. And just like we discussed last week, we talked about this idea of the indicative in Scripture, who we are in Christ, what Christ has done, the identity He's given us, always precedes the imperative, the commands to live according to Christ. Who we are precedes what we do. And here again, Peter does that as well in these verses. And if we're going to boil these verses down to one just dominating thought, it's going to be this this morning. May we deeply love one another, imperative, for, or by reason of, or because of, we are the newly formed people of God. I'm going to read, or flip-flop it. Let's flip-flop it. Indicative first. We are the newly formed family of God. Therefore, we will deeply love one another. Indicative, imperative. Who we are in Christ precedes what we do in Christ. So let's pray together. And let's ask for God's grace and power to enable us to hear and obey his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for your love for us. Uh, that you are abounding in it. That your disposition towards us is not wrath. You have to be provoked to wrath. But it's love. It's kindness. It's care. And I thank you that you have called us to be your people so I pray today that as we look at your word, that you form us by it, you teach us in it, you give us the grace to the Holy Spirit to walk in it, to live in it, and may our love for one another be evidence of your love for us. May we truly, earnestly, deeply desire to love each other here at Emmanuel Church. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Uh, in 2021, um, GQ, I don't read a lot of GQ, um, but they released uh, a some findings on a study they did, a survey they conducted around the idea of modern love, what, what love means today to men and women. And they received back responses from 889 individuals from all ages and demographics, all kinds of backgrounds. And without going into detail of each question given in the survey, I do want to read you some quotes from this survey that I believe will capture just the cultural moment of our day when it comes to our society's view of love. Let me read you just a few quotes from this article. Quote, the most, and this is GQ, by the way, trying to sum up the findings, all right? Quote, the most important quality in a relationship is open communication. The second and third qualities are emotional connection and spending time together. Physical attraction, on the other hand, isn't that big of a deal, especially to people currently in love. While sex is important, less than a quarter of people think it's crucial to a happy relationship. Though intriguingly, millennials think it's more important than other, any other generation. A lot can be said about that um, for another time. It goes on, the report concludes with this, and I find this really fascinating. It says, no matter the role it plays in our lives, love is undeniably present and powerful. 87% of people surveyed have been in love, and 72% currently are. Whether that means a person is in love with one person or several, it's making them happier. In that regard, love is just as timeless as ever. 
Let me read that, those last two sentences one more time. Whether that means a person is in love with one person or several, it's making them happier. In that regard, love is just as timeless as ever. Now, as I was reading this article um, in Red Cat, um, my mind went back to the original intent of the article. And the original intent of the article was to ask modern men and women with different ages and backgrounds what they believed love to be. And that question, what is love, which you know, Hathaway's been asking since 93, but what is love, was never actually answered. They were asked, these people surveyed were asked preferential questions. They were asked background questions on their own relationships and sexual activity. They were asked their views on marriage and dating and singleness. But they were never asked the one question that actually mattered. And the question was, what is this love that you're talking about? So the administrators of the survey and the writers of this article, they sought to bring clarity to their findings and try to define what love was in those last two sentences you read, I just read before. And they did, to a certain extent, bring some clarity. And it was to this extent that love is about your happiness. And if you, love, however you define it, is making you happy, then love to quote them again, is just as timeless as ever. You know, in a sense, in a sense, uh, this is really true. You know, relentlessly seeking out our own happiness is timeless. You know, Adam and Eve were created to seek out and find their happiness in God, right? But since the first sin came into the world there in the garden, human beings have sought to define love their own way to put their own desires to find happiness in themselves. That self-gratification in other things, other than God, was the center of their personal quest for love in this life. How can I be happy? How can I find satisfaction? And in that modern way, our modern understanding of love is as timeless as ever. Because since the fall, we have all been at the center of our own affections. Jonathan Wilson, he's a Christian author. He once wrote this. He said, love is a terribly debased term today, almost beyond rescue, as a description of the good news of the kingdom to come in Jesus Christ. We must work to recover an understanding and practice of love. Salvation is living in the way of love. Now, the scriptures present a very different picture and definition of the practice of love than what we oftentimes hear today. You know, love in our context extends only as far as getting your own gratification and happiness from it. But love in Christianity drives us to stoop our knees, to shoulder our crosses, and to die to ourselves daily for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ, for the glory and the praise of our God, which will ultimately make us happy. The survey didn't ask any questions about sacrifice. It didn't ask any questions about selflessness. It asked no questions about self-denial. If we're basing our love for one another on warm, fuzzy feelings, on our own fulfillment, our own satisfaction, on our own convenience, how is that any different than how the culture defines what love is? Now, if we're called holy, 
which we talked about last week, if we are called to be holy as God is holy, then as His children, if He is our Father, as His children, our love among one another is to be holy. It's to be different, to be distinct, to be set apart. Last week we talked about Peter's first two imperatives out of the initial indicative. First imperative, first command, set your hope fully on God's coming grace. That's verse 13. Command number two, as children of God, be holy, just as God our Father is holy, verse 15. And then today, Peter gives us the third command here in chapter 1. And it's in 22 through 25. Love one another earnestly, deeply, verse 22. And when it comes to loving one another, let's keep our scope, as we look at this text, within Peter's scope. Now, Peter is specifically talking about loving one another in the body of Christ. He will talk about loving people outside of the body of Christ later in his letter. But as of right now, he is focusing here on the community of faith, those who claim to know Christ, those who follow Jesus Christ, believers, those who've been born again to a living hope, verse 3. Now, when God causes us to be born again, we're not born again in a vacuum, we're not born again to just be an individual living their lives in this world on our own, but rather we are born again and united to others who have been born again. Christianity is not intended to be lived in isolation and alone, but Christianity is intended to be lived in lieu of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ and in the people that he has united us to, you and me. This relationship with God affects and intersects our relationships with others who live within this same salvation. So Peter here continues to instruct us in how to be holy in our conduct, namely how to be holy in our love for one another. So what does he say? What does he say? What does Peter say about this kind of love we're to have for one another? Well, let's look at it. Let's read verse 22 again in your text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So let's stop right there for just a second. It appears, first of all, that Peter here is communicating that we obey God to more effectively love the people of God. That we obey God to more effectively love the people of God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the, to the truth, for, or so that, it's a purpose clause, so that a sincere brotherly love is inevitably produced. You obey to love others well. It's not a way we think about obedience a lot of times. But our obedience or lack of obedience directly affects us, one another in the body of Christ. But what kind of purifying obedience is Peter talking about here? What does that mean? Well, it goes back to the imagery of gold being purified in a fire, which we preached on a few weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 1. That fire that he's using there, being purified through fire, he's using it in terms of trials earlier when we talked about that. That gold is already gold, right? As it's being put into the fire, it's already gold. The fire doesn't make it any more gold, but rather the fire is melting away the impurities of the gold, making the gold more pure. So us too, we have been born again 
But we are, we are gold, so to speak. We are being newly created into something that is different, something that's valuable, something that's precious. But even though we're new creations, we still have impurities in our motives and in our character and in our thoughts and in our desires, right? Maybe I'm just speaking about it myself. I don't know. I know I have impurities in all of those things. But this is a part of Christian maturity. God making us more pure, melting away the dross, so to speak. I mean, how many of us have things about us we don't like and want to change? All of us do. And I'm not talking about, like, I have excess weight to lose or my nose is too big or, you know, anything like that. But things that we don't like about ourselves because they're out of step with how Christ has called us to live. And all of us, all of us can identify with that. None of us have arrived yet. We're all on a journey towards Christian maturity. You know, I hate how impatient I can be with my kids. You know, I hate how lazy I can be in leading Christine, my wife. You know, I hate how often I waste my time on watching a variety of things that don't even matter. You know, some of you guys hate certain things about yourself that you want the Holy Spirit to change. Part of growing in our likeness of Christ is identifying the things that are not like Christ and growing a distaste for those things. You know, we've all been made new if we're in Christ Jesus, but still impurities remain in us. And Peter's saying, yeah, trials are a way to melt away some of that dross. Trials are a way to melt away some of those impurities, but so is obedience. Obedience does that as well. The Holy Spirit in you is melting away the dross as you seek to be obedient to the truth of God's Word. But if we're so wrapped up in sin if we're so caught up in the things we hate about ourselves, neglecting obedience to the truth of God, we're going to be less effective and able to love those within the body of Christ. You ever thought about that? That yours and my lack of obedience to Christ will inevitably affect our ability to love each other? And we see this in marriage relationships all the time. You know, the sins of the husband and wife, whatever those may be, inevitably affect their intimacy and love with one another. It will that will in turn then affect their parenting of their kids, the care of their children. The whole family feels it, right? Bring that into the church context as well. If we are making unwise, simple decisions in our personal lives, those things will affect all of us, the body as a whole, the family of faith here. At Emmanuel Church. You know, if we're not wisely managing our money, it'll affect how much we can give to address needs in the church family. If we're filling our minds with sexually explicit material or pornography, it's going to affect how we physically view men and women in the church. If we're gossiping behind each other's backs or growing in our resentment towards others in the church, it's going to affect our ability to pray for one another, genuinely pray for each other, to seek one another's good. If we're envious of one another, if we're jealous of another's gifts or talents or abilities or physical possessions or money or status or whatever, it's going to affect our ability to celebrate and rejoice with others when things go well for them. If we're not being open and honest with other people about our sin in our hearts and we're trying to hide it, we're trying to keep it secret, it's going to affect the intimacy God has called us to live with one another here in this body. I mean, on and on we could go, but Peter wants 
uh, Peter wants us not to be fooled. The sin we commit in the privacy of our hearts and in the darkness of the night, those sins will inevitably affect our ability to love each other in this body. So let's repent, church. May I repent. May all of us repent. Turn from that sin. Confess those sins to one another that we may be healed, right? We want to seek reconciliation with others if we need to. Go to them and apologize. Humble ourselves and say, I'm sorry for this. We need to forgive each other. Tell someone about the sins you're dealing with in the dark. Bring those sins to the light. There will be great power lost when things are exposed to the light. And then we can walk more intimately with one another towards obedience and holiness in Christ Jesus for the glory of our God. And that leads to the second point here. Second point. Our new identities. So being born again. We are new in Christ. Those new identities produce profound affections for the people of God. Produce the profound affections for the people of God. Verses 22 and 23. Let's read this again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Again, Peter rooting who we are over and over and over again into our minds before we seek out to live in who we are. This is who you are. You've been loved by God in Christ Jesus. You're born again, therefore love one another. And he gives us four, three, actually three characteristics of what this love looks like and must look like within the church to be considered Christ follower type love. First, he says this, as the people of God, our love must be genuine, must be genuine. Sincere is the word it uses here in verse 22, my translation, must be real, not counterfeit, must be free from hypocrisy, not saying one thing yet doing another. You know, when I think about genuine love in my own life, I mean, there's so many examples I could give you of people that have just demonstrated sincere, genuine, unhypocritical love to me and my family. But I think that of all those instances, the one that stands out the most involves our adoption of Riley, our firstborn. She's back in childcare right now. That's why I'm pointing back there. She's back there. Um, it's one of the greatest examples of sincere, genuine love I've ever experienced from the people of God. It's when our, we were adopting her. It's a long story short, and I can tell you the long story version at some point uh, later on. Another reason we need to get coffee at some point, if I haven't had coffee with you. But when we got that call that Riley needed a mom or dad, it's in 2018, December 5th, 2018. Um, we had about a three-hour window where we had to say yes or no. And if we said yes, then at the end of that three hours, we were going to have a kid. All right, so it's like, no baby uh, for a long time. Hey, three hours, yes or no? Okay, here's a baby, all right? And it's like, well, what do we do? Um, it's very, very overwhelming. Obviously, we said yes, and we were not prepared by any stretch of the imagination. Um, maybe emotionally we were prepared, but not, we, didn't have stuff, we didn't have stuff we needed for her to sleep or eat or anything like that. So we have this five-day-old baby now, and we need to get stuff together in a short amount of time to make sure that she can live in our house. Um, and Riley uh, was born about a month premature, and so she is in the NICU at Grady Hospital in Atlanta. 
or we were living at the time. We weren't living at Grady. We were living in Atlanta. Um, so we knew that because she was in the NICU, we would have some time at the end of each day to come home and try to get things ready before she actually came home. So we'd go to Grady in the morning. We got there. We'd get there on 9 a.m. when the NICU opened. We'd stay until 5, and then we knew at the end of that you know, tenure uh, of time we were with her, we'd have to leave her there. And then our day would honestly at that point just begin because we had to start getting stuff ready at the house. We had a window of time at night. And so the next that first day, we're driving there. It's a nasty day. It's rainy. It's freezing cold. It's December. Just a gross day. And spend the day there, leave around 5, come home back to Marietta, about a 45-minute drive, and uh, just overwhelmed at the task of, having, one, of bringing a baby home, but two, of getting our house ready to bring a baby home. There's so much to do. But as we pull up to our house that first day, the first thing that I saw pulling up to the house were pink balloons tied around our mailbox. And I don't know what it is about those pink balloons, but it always, it always gets me, it chokes me up a little bit when I think about it. But I see those pink balloons tied around our mailbox, and I look at our front porch, and on our front porch are diapers and clothes and formula and toys and dinner for Christine and me, and like all these things that the people of God had gotten together for us, just waiting for us to come home so that we wouldn't have to worry about it. I remember getting a call that night from a mentor of mine who said, how much more money do you need to free up all the adoption expenses? I told him, and the next day there was this amount of money in our bank account. On this gross, rainy, early December weekday. It wasn't even a weekend, all right? So people got to work and stuff. It was a weekday. The family of faith, when they had work and errands and kids and other responsibilities, they demonstrated genuine, sincere love towards us. They, they told us for months and months and months, we love adoption, we love adoption, we love adoption. And then when the time came where adoption was coming our way, they didn't just say they loved it. They showed us that they loved it and that they loved the families who adopt. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. It was love that was not hypocritical, love that was selfless, love that was sacrificial, love that demonstrated itself in soaking wet clothes and inconvenience. It's the kind of love Peter's talking about here. It's a love that doesn't just speak empty words, but performs weighty actions. It's a love that shows up when others need it most, not when it's convenient for us. Our love must be like this. It must be genuine love. Second, our love is covenantal. It's covenantal. It's brotherly love. It's familial love. We're not only brought into this covenant with God now because of our faith in Christ. We're not just born again into a covenant with God. But we're born again into a covenant with other believers. As family. We're now brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who we are. You know, the word here for brotherly love is a familiar word for all of us. Philadelphia. Literally love for the brothers. You know, normally in this New Testament, the word used to describe Christian love is agape love. It's this... A love that doesn't seek reciprocity. It's like the selfless, you know, giving love, regardless of how the other person receives that kind of love. But Peter uses Philadelphia here, which is interesting, because he's putting into the minds of the church that love within the confines of the family of God 
is the type of love that expects mutual response from another person. If we're going to love each other well in this body, then there needs to be a mutual understanding that we're going to love each other well. That one person is just not going to do all the loving, right? Both people are going to be sacrificially loving one another. And there will be a growing affection and love for one another. That's not stagnant love, but it's a love consistently that grows deeper and deeper. Now, one of the, if you've sat down with me at all since I've been here, I've been here for six months, for those of you that are new, I've been here for six months. Um, so I'm new too, welcome. Uh, one of the questions I've asked many of you since I've been here is what keeps you at Emmanuel Church? Not what drew you here, but what keeps you here? Why are you still here? You've walked through a lot the last six years. Why are you still a part of this body? And nine out of ten of you, maybe all of you, I just have to put a one in there just in case, so I'm not a liar, but nine out of ten of you have said some version of the love or the relationships you've experienced with the people of God here at Emmanuel Church. That the love you have for the church, the love you have for your GC, your gospel community, the love you've experienced during your time here is what has kept you at this church. I mean, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. You know, gospel-centered relationships should make it hard for you if you ever are considering leaving this body or leaving another body to come here. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Leaving a local church for another local church should feel like you're losing a limb. It should be hard for you difficult for you, painful for you. It should not come easy for you. It should, be, it should be hard. If you find it easy, maybe you haven't experienced that brotherly love that Peter's talking about here, that familial love. Just as when your parents drop you off at college that first day, then they peace out and you're like, yes, you're gone. They're feeling the pain, right? They love you, but they're feeling the pain of separation because they're your family. They're your father and your mother. So for us, too, when we get to those places, we're like, man, I feel like the Lord's leading me this way. It should be, a, it should be hard for you to leave the body, whatever body you're leaving. Family, it's in our mission statement, right? We are a diverse family of disciples. And I pray, I pray that continues to be true. So we need to love and sacrifice for one another because we are the family of God. And what would we not do for our families, right? Do anything for them. So our love is genuine. Our love is covenantal. Third, our love must be earnest. It's a good word. Our love must be earnest. can't tell you the last time I've used the word earnest, apart from earnest money and buying a house in my everyday language, but it's this idea of deep, of committed. We're, we're earnestly loving each other. Peter uses it again in, in chapter 4, verse 8 of 1 Peter, and he says that this kind of heartfelt, earnest love covers a multitude of sins. You think about that. You know, it was earnest, deep, committed love that propelled God to send Christ to earth to be our sacrifice on the cross, to die and be resurrected again from the dead, to literally cover atone for a multitude of sins, right? But when we possess that same kind of love, it produces in us humility. We aren't as easily offended in this body by one another. And if we are offended, we don't just peace out and leave. We seek reconciliation. 
We don't always have to be justified when we're wronged. We don't always have to be right in every circumstance and situation. We don't always have to defend our ways or prove ourselves. It's the kind of love that's able to bear with one another. I mean, there are a lot of things Paul writes about in the New Testament. And one of the things he always writes about is bearing with one another, which is this idea of, it's not a pleasant idea, right? You're having to bear with one another. And it's the idea of maybe you do have to get up underneath somebody and bear them on you as you carry them. But I think it really a lot of times has to do with, I just have to put up with you, right? In a loving way. But let's be honest here. There are people in this church that we're going to butt heads with. They're going to cause friction in us. And the solution is not to leave, first and foremost. It's to seek to learn how to love somebody you don't agree with. That's why I was so super disappointed. Not, I'm not talking about Emmanuel Church here. I'm talking about just Christendom. Super disappointed when, especially in the Western context, with the election of 2016, the pandemic, responses, X, Y, and Z, just super disappointed that the solution for so many people was just a peace. I don't agree with what you decided, church. I don't agree with what you said, church. I'm gone. Maybe the Lord wanted you to stay to learn how to love people in the body of Christ, not like you. Maybe. Maybe not. But maybe. Maybe. I say that to myself as well. I say that to myself as well. Earnest, committed, deep love that humbles ourselves, that we humble ourselves to love other people, even at the expense of ourselves. Peter explains what kind of love we are to exhibit towards one another in the church, and then he Choose, he closes out, excuse me, closes out here in the final verses of chapter one, explaining why we should love each other this way. And his point is this, last point here. Our love remains forever because God's word remains forever. Our love remains forever for God's love, excuse me, God's word remains forever. Read verse 23 again with me, 24 to 25. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Perishable versus imperishable seed. Peter's comparing here physical human procreation as perishable. And spiritual recreation is imperishable. Now, human births perishable. None of us live forever in our present state of things, right? But we're but uh, we're all like grass, as Peter used the illustration here. Grass and flowers of the field that are fragile and temporary. All of us are. But when we're born again, when we are created by means of something that never fails, of something that never fades, that remains forever, namely the Word of God. We're born again by the gospel, by the word of God. Just as God brought into being everything in creation in Genesis 1, so he brings into new being all those who put their faith and trust in Christ through that same effective formational word. He's making something out of nothing. Just as he did at the beginning when he created all things out of nothing. So when he makes you new in Christ, you are now a new creation. You are something now out of what was nothing before. And this gospel, this word produces in us not a perishable life, but an imperishable life. For it's forged with the imperishable word of God. And Peter quotes here Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. I don't know if you ever read Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is a turning point 
in the book of Isaiah, one, chapters 1 through 39. There's a lot of the love of the Lord there, but there's also a lot of, hey, you're heading into exile, you need to repent. Judgment's coming, Israel, you need to repent. But then 40 switches. And the first verse in chapter 40 says, comfort, comfort my people. It's a chapter filled with hope. It's a, Isaiah 40 is a chapter for people in exile. God is speaking a word of comfort to his people. It's filled with the same words John the Baptist quotes in Matthew chapter 3 when he says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Because hope for people in exile is a way back, right? And John the Baptist comes on the scene and he takes these words in Isaiah 40 and says, prepare the way of the Lord for roads are being made back to God, namely in Jesus Christ. God is sending Jesus and leveling those roads for those who have been sent into exile, for those that live in exile, back to him. And for the people in exile in Isaiah 40 and for us in exile in 2022, the confidence and comfort we have is to quote Isaiah 40, verse 5, that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God has spoken, and his word is eternal. And when God gives us a litany of promises in the scriptures, that he will fulfill his word, for his word is eternal. He never makes mistakes, he never breaks his promises, he never goes back on anything he said. His word lasts forever. His word never fails. His word never returns void. It always accomplishes that, what he sets out, that he sets out to do with it. God has saved us by his word and his love. And his love for us will never end for his love, for his word will never end. And he has told us he will love us to the end and his word never fails. God's commanded us in in the scriptures to radically love one another. For our love for one another lasts as long as God's love is for us and that's for eternity. Let us honor him in this church by fixing our minds and our hearts and our actions, our focus on things that last, namely on his word and on his love. And may we love one another deeply, for we are the newly and eternally formed family of God. Let's pray together. Father, your love for us is beyond our comprehension, beyond our ability to fathom. You love us in spite of us. We love you because you first loved us. If you had not loved us first, then we can never love you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of fog and chaos and trials and suffering that may come our way in this world, that your word is, it clearly proclaims promises that you have spoken with your very mouth. Promises that are for us, for our children forever. Father, thank you, O God, that all your promises towards us 
find their yes in Christ, and they are always for our good. So even now, as we think about how to love each other well in this body, may it be a love with which we have learned from you, that you have filled us up with through the Holy Spirit as we look at Christ on the cross and see the great lengths to which he loved us. Dying a criminal's death on the cross, leaving his throne in glory to come and suffer and die and bear the weight of our sin on his shoulders. So may we too, may our love in this body too be marked by sacrifice, by selflessness. May we go to great lengths to love each other, not just when it's convenient for us, not just when it's going to result in pats on the back for us. Lord, may we, may we love with the love of Christ. Just as you have borne with us in our shortcomings, may we bear with one another. May we be patient with one another. And may your word, oh God, continue to form us, shape us into a family after your own heart. We love you, Lord, and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.